Welcome to City Church. City Church is a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Well, good morning. It's good to see faces, or at least half faces in the room. Um, I hope that you've had a blessed weekend, a holiday weekend, and that yesterday, last night especially, was really special for you and your family and those you were with. Um, I want to uh, start this message. I'm excited to share with you the things I've been um, wading through this week, preparing for this moment. But first, I want to I invite you to look ahead to next week and let you know, you know, here at City Church, you know, we, we start a sermon series and there's always a lot of thought and um, energy I'm invested in that. Um, this is the end of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter Has Come series. This is the last message. We have taught everything there is to teach on the Holy Spirit now. Well, not exactly, right? But we're gonna, we're gonna stop this series and next week I want you to know and look forward to a new series Pastor Pete will begin on the Sermon on the Mount. And I even wanna float this idea, as crazy as it may sound, that you actually get a Bible and read the Sermon on the Mount before next week when Pastor Pete starts preaching through the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew 5 through 7. If you're interested in doing that, I encourage you to grab a Bible and read. That'd be a great way to prepare your heart for the message that's coming next week. For the message this week, I want to start by thinking about this word, comfort, and what comes to mind for you. What comes to mind for me is comfort food. And I don't know if what you hear or smell in your imagination when you hear the words comfort food. Um, I'll tell you that that for me, my mouth starts watering and I've already broken the, the cardinal sin of preaching, which is to talk about food because then all of you are thinking about food and now I'm gonna ask you to do your best to stay with me. But I wanna share with you a top 10 of American comfort foods. A survey was conducted by Sarah Lee, um, the, uh, the bread company. If you guys ever eat Sarah Lee bread or pies, you know what I'm talking about. But Sarah Lee conducted this survey and they found that Americans really love these 10 foods as comfort foods. I want to share them with you and see if maybe yours are on this list. So number 10 is tomato soup. Does anybody think, when they think comfort, they think tomato soup? That didn't hit me, but I see a few hands. Yeah, okay. How about chili? Does anybody think chili? You know, I can say for me, especially on a cold day and being raised in the part of the country I was in, yeah, a good bowl of chili was something special for me. Number eight, mashed potatoes which I guess isn't really a, a meal, but as a, but some people it may be a meal. You're like, just give me a bowl full of mashed potatoes and I'll be happy. It is comforting. I can agree with that. Grilled cheese is number seven. Grilled cheese. A few grilled cheese lovers out there. Whether you put, I was raised putting mayonnaise on my grilled cheese. And see, I see a head nodding. Victoria agrees with me. Maybe some of you at home are actually moved inside in ways you weren't prepared for hearing that. Um, but I love it. It's good. Number six, mac and cheese. Yes, now mac and cheese is one of those things. I can say I've seen people just eat a bowl of mac and cheese for a whole meal. They've, I've seen it happen. I had mac and cheese last night, and it was really good. I enjoyed every bite. Pasta is number five. Number five is pasta. And this is, I think, that's like a thousand different meals, right? Like pasta with anything. But it's comforting. And I've had uh, Miss Fran's um, pasta 
and it is something special. She does a good job with it. So I can say yes, very comforting. Number four is French fries. Can you, th- can you agree? French fries are a good thing. Yeah, and then you probably have your favorite types of fries. Are they curly or are they steak fries or are they McDonald's fries, which are always good any time of the day. I don't know how you feel about that. Number three is fried chicken. Fried chicken is the comfort food in the deep south where we just came from when we moved to to Virginia. They also referred to it lovingly as the gospel bird because every potluck, every Sunday, there was fried chicken and uh, it was comforting. Number two is burgers, all right? And you may you can build a burger any way you want. Maybe that's the part of it that makes it comforting. You can have pickles or mustard, cheese, uh, mushrooms if you want, some A1, steak sauce, whatever you want on a burger, you can have it and it can be really comforting. But number one, and in my opinion, uh, one, number one being far superior to all the others on this list, pizza. Pizza, man, that does my heart Good. I love good pizza. It didn't have to be good pizza. I mean, we practically, every Friday is Pizza Friday for us. We got to the end of the week, and uh, almost every Friday we'll eat pizza. And we don't go get the, we just get the, the stuff we can grab at Domino's. We pull it in, and everybody loves Pizza Friday. So I don't know how those foods strike you, but I bet you can agree with this truth. At the end of a really hard day, a really hard week, uh, comfort food helps. But that good feeling that comes from comfort food is only fleeting, right? It only lasts so long. And then, depending on how much of the comfort food you ate, there's an even worse feeling that follows, right? And you start to think, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, I can't believe it. But I want to talk this morning about a different kind of comfort. I want to talk to you about the God of all comfort, who is always good and always a blessing And I want to talk about a history that God has that warms my heart and should warm yours. If we take the biblical story and we open it up and we start looking for for what kind of God we serve and, and what he's about, from the start, he's good. And he's created something that's good. And in man and woman, he says, this is very good. But then, like we are prone to do, we fall we fail, but God proves from the very beginning of this story we read in Scripture that he is a God of comfort. Even when Adam and Eve reach for forbidden fruit and they fall in the garden, God comes to clothe them. In their nakedness, as they're ashamed, he clothes them. And then he encourages them. He, he's honest about what life is going to be like and how difficult it's going to be, but he encourages them. And he gives them a a life to continue living. He comforts them. From the very beginning, God is a God of all comfort. And when you fast forward and you look at the the patriarchs, um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you read the stories, it's clear that our God is not a God to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And there is a distinction. God actually comes to Abraham. He promises him, his descendants, as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sands on the seashore. And then when they're doubting it, when they're old in their age and they just can't imagine it happening, he actually comes to eat with them and reminds them, no, this is true. And by this time next year, you will have a son. And sure enough, 
It happens. He comforts Isaac. He comforts Jacob. He even comes to the earth and wrestles with Jacob. Not a God who stands far off, but one who comes near and comforts Jacob, even changes Jacob's name so that he is now called Israel. He who wrestles with God. He who wrestles with man and with God and has overcome. And this is a part of who our God is. It's who he is at every step. After 400 years of slavery in Egypt, our God hears the cries of his people and with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, he does something unforgettable. But you know, the the story of the Exodus does not end with emancipation. It does not end by setting the people free. But they walk to the mountain of God. They receive commandments. And then the very last image in the book of Exodus, God in his Shekinah glory as a cloud is in the midst of his people. And that's his heart to comfort them, to be with them, to do life with them. Not far off, but nearby. That's the God of all comfort. The people of God, like the people of God in this room, and struggle just to really understand that, to really know that and believe that and hold on to that. And as the people of God, uh, we're in and out of love with our God. There came times that that God had to speak judgment on them and he had to to bring them to their senses to say, look, you've, you've turned away from me, you're worshiping other gods, even to send them into captivity and exile. And it's in this moment, I want us to find words of comfort today the people of God have been carried off in exile by Babylon and um, by Assyria who then follows and wipes out Babylon. You've got this moment where the people of God are really suffering. They're far from home. They're overwhelmed with grief. They can't imagine a life that has any hope or future. And God speaks to his servant Isaiah in Isaiah 40. And this is what he says, comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You know, this moment in the book of Isaiah is a turning point. And God begins to promise hope and deliverance and and peace for his people who are just overwhelmed with life. Isaiah 40 is just the start. In Isaiah 40, we have this, this glimmer of hope, this promise. But in Isaiah 41... The song continues and he promises to take barren wasteland and turn it into a place where trees just thrive. For those who are hungry and thirsty, he's gonna provide for them. In Isaiah 42, there's a promise of a servant who's going to come that's going to flip everything upside down. We know his name. His name is Jesus. In Isaiah 43, we find a pattern start to emerge that I think we have to notice. In Isaiah 43, this is what The Lord says, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they won't sweep over you. 
When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And this begins a pattern in Isaiah. In the midst of all this suffering, in the midst of all this overwhelming sadness and and despair, the promise of God is rooted not in circumstances around them that might change or or even some, some old words and promises of old. It's, it's a promise right here and now that I am. In the middle of it all, I am. I want you to notice this as the rest of uh, Isaiah 43 plays out. God's enduring answer to our never-ending need for comfort. In verse three, he says, for I am the Lord your God. In verse five, do not be afraid for I am with you. In verse 11, I, even I am the Lord. Apart from me, there is no savior. In verse 13, yes, and from ancient days, I am he. In verse 15, I am the Lord, your holy one, Israel's creator, your king. In verse 19, I am doing a new thing, making a way in the wilderness. And in verse 25, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions. And you see the weight of all this. You'd wonder, does, does God just think we're hard of, of hearing? Like, does he think he needs to repeat himself again and again? Because, and the answer is yes, I think. We've proven ourselves to be thick-skulled sometimes, kind of slow to see and understand. But if you'll, as if that wasn't enough, you know, all these promises God speaks through Isaiah and in this way to get our attention and help us understand he himself is our peace. He is our comfort. And you fast forward to the Gospel of John and you see a God made flesh who takes up the same rhythm, the same pattern. I want you to notice this. I think this is, this is really neat. Oh, I want you to, to look at this with me. In the Gospel of John, you have seven I am statements. Really, I think you might have eight, but, uh, but I'm not a scholar, I, you know, and, and they say seven, so we're gonna go with their number, all right? So I think you have at least seven. And in every one of these moments, Jesus, God made flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, finds himself in the company of people who are overwhelmed, who are uncomfortable, and who need something to change. To a people desperate for soul-satisfying food in John chapter six, food that wouldn't leave them feeling empty, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. In John chapter eight, to a people overwhelmed by the oppressive and disorienting darkness on the earth, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. To a people lost and confused, wandering aimlessly, Jesus says, I am the gate in John 10. Again in John 10, to a people who are harassed by the one who comes to steal, to kill and destroy, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. In John 11, to those overwhelmed by grief and the power of the grave, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. In John 14, to those with troubled hearts looking for a better home, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And finally, in John 15, to those he's calling to carry on his ministry, restoring his creation, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. 
goes on to say, it's to my Father's glory that you would bear much fruit. And do you see what's happening here? God begins to comfort his people, Adam and Eve, and he sends them off. And then throughout history, as they struggle again and again, and as, as the world is overwhelmed by evil, he raises up people who will speak to his people or speak for him. He intervenes. He, he, he makes a covenant with one and then with one nation. And he's working through that to, to bring comfort to them and to the world by extension. But then it's not enough. God himself puts on flesh, stands among people who are desperate for comfort. And he says, I am bread. I am light. I am the vine. He says all these things, culminating with this last one. I am the vine and you are the branches to announce something new. Pastor Pete shared with us some, some words from this upper room discourse that John 15 is, is right in the middle of. John 14, 15, and 16 is this moment where Jesus starts to unfold God's intent for all of us, not just as a people who are comforted, but as a people who are cultivated to also bring comfort. Because that was always God's hope and his plan, not just for his spirit to remain far off, dropping good blessing like rain from heaven occasionally, but instead to take up residence within us in a way that could be a comfort not only to us, but also to all those around us. I am the vine, you are the branches. It's to my Father's glory that you would bear much fruit. You know, and Paul grabs hold of this idea and gives a little more detail on what he's talking about. In Galatians chapter five, he starts to talk about fruit. Fruit that's a blessing to anyone and everyone on the earth when the spirit is in us. Before we read that, I want to talk about fireworks. Anybody like fireworks? Yeah, my dog doesn't especially appreciate them. But last night was an amazing show. We went over to some friends, the Boyers. We were sitting. They, they, sit, they, they, they live near Carter's Mountain. And our view of the, the fireworks last night was, we talked about it. They need to start selling tickets. So stay tuned. Maybe next year you can buy tickets and be at the Boyers with us. We, we loved our, our time there. We were watching the, the fireworks just go off. And uh, maybe the most impressive fireworks show I've ever seen. It just kept going and going. And going. Three times I thought we were in the grand finale. And then finally the grand finale left no doubt. Oh, no. Yeah, that's the grand finale. It was amazing. But at the end of it, we got in our car to go home. And with everybody else who was in that part of town, we just sat in traffic for 40 minutes or so trying to get home. It didn't change how we felt about how awesome it was, but it did give me perspective. You know, our God put on flesh to give us more than a fleeting fireworks show. He's about more than that. Indeed, he came to set us free but also to promise that we might be filled full in a way that doesn't, doesn't make the world wonder and set the world on edge for three years of earthly ministry, but for millennia as the people of God live with the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That comfort that is a comfort to us was never intended to stop with us. We are to be cultivated in a way that we are then a comfort to everyone around us. That's God's divine design. 
for me and you. Holy Spirit, the Comforter has come. And the Comforter remains. And the Comforter cultivates us so that we might be a comfort. I want you to read Galatians chapter 5 with me. Starting in verse 13, these are the words that Paul is writing to some first followers of Jesus who live in a town called Galatia. And they're having their own struggles, figuring that out and what it means. And the church is trying to decide, well, what should we be doing and what shouldn't we be doing? And what does faith look like now? Um, How do we follow Jesus? They're asking all those questions. And Paul writes to them, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit... What's contrary to the flesh? They're in conflict with each other so that you're not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. You know, the the good news Paul is spelling out for the Galatians is that, you know, we have a choice in this. You know, what our life looks like. And, you know, it reminds me of a moment that that I spent um, in Costa Rica. So, you're like, wow, yeah, the Rogers just been jetting about the world, just uh, having fun. This is a long time ago. And uh, before we had kids, we were newly married and my brother was engaged. He decided he was going to get married and he was marrying um, a young woman who had been widowed early in life. She'd already had a traditional wedding. She wanted something different. So they said, let's go to Costa Rica. Let's do a wedding there. And we said, okay, I guess that's all right. Now we were like, yeah, that's awesome. Let's do it. So we all got on the plane and we flew over there and we did everything you got to do for a wedding. We got them married and then they went on their honeymoon and we had a couple days left in Costa Rica. So we're trying to figure out what to do at the time. And they said, y'all should go horseback riding. So we're like, okay, cool. How does that work? Well, they said, you got to drive to this place. You wait at this place and then you get on the horses and then you, you ride through the rainforest and then you go swimming at a waterfall. And we were like, yes, that sounds awesome. So we did that. We... We, we started it and we end, we find ourselves um, at this, this Costa Rican villa for lunch. And we're supposed to just kind of be waiting on the horses and to get, to go, get going again. 
But uh, as we're waiting, some of the guys that are there, the locals that were working at this villa, said, hey, are you, are you hungry? We were like, well, I mean, I'm always hungry. I was like 22 years old. Like, yes. The answer is always yes at 22. I am hungry. And so I said, well, here, do you want some fruit? I said, sure. And so they started walking around the edge of this yard. And at every single stop, there was a different kind of fruit hanging on a tree. And they'd cut it off. They give it to you. started with the co- coconuts, which, you know, pull those down and cut them off. And we're like, wow, that's so cool. And we're like drinking it and thinking, that doesn't taste like I thought it would taste. But we're like, this is fun. And they start going around different fruits. I can't even remember the names of all the fruits on these trees, but we made our way around this courtyard, this yard. And it was amazing. And as we were sitting there taking it in and I was just like pinching myself, like this is, this is awesome. I realized this is who we're supposed to be. Like this is our calling as the people of God, to bear fruit, fruit that is irresistible, fruit people are drawn to, fruit that people can't stop talking about, fruit that makes people wonder, how does this even happen? Only to arrive at the answer, God. That is our way of life. That's who we're supposed to be. A people of God, he is the vine, We are the branches. By his spirit, we are comforted and we are cultivated to then bring comfort to the world around us. I'll never forget that feeling in Costa Rica. I mean, it was hot, but they had fruit growing on trees everywhere. They had tended the soil like they needed to. They'd done all that had to happen to to have this kind of paradise break out. And don't you know, our world is desperate for something like that. I don't know about you, I have felt further from home than at any time in my life. I've actually been like uh, almost homesick. And it's not because home is like 1,561 miles away from here. That's a long way for me. My childhood home in West Texas is a long way from here. But it's not really 514 North Huron that I'm homesick for. I ache for my eternal home. When I look around and I see all the brokenness and all the the division, the the hate, um, just the the sadness, the depravity everywhere I look, I long for home. And Martha puts it this way, I'm not homesick, I'm heaven sick. And I think it's true. There's a longing in me for things to be made right and set right. I think it's important we realize We have been invited to play a part in that. God has called us to carry on his father's business, just like he did in in John 15, sitting with his disciples. I am the vine, you are the branches. There is fruit to bear and it will bring my father glory. That's the time we're living in. This is our time for that calling. I wanna share one more vision with you and it comes from the book of Ezekiel. After these people have been in exile for generations, God speaks a word to them through Ezekiel to give them hope and a promise. This is what's going to happen. This is the future for my people, a future that we're now living in. Ezekiel 47, starting in verse one, says, the man brought me back to the entrance to the temple And I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. 
The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He brought me out through the north gate, led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east, and the water was trickling from the south side, just a trickle. And as the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off 50 yards and then led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another 50 yards and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another 50 and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another 50, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. And he asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. And when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. And he said to me, this water flows toward the Eastern region. And it goes down into the Arabah where it enters the Dead Sea. And when it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the, the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Eneglem. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea, but the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They'll be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. Like what a beautiful vision. And more than words on paper, our God's intent is for this to be his church on the earth. More than words on paper, his church on the earth. Our fruit to serve for food our leaves for healing. You know, Pastor Pete often finishes his sermons with, with a challenge. What does it mean to really put feet to our faith? So I wanna challenge you with this. I think number one, it's the idea arriving at this moment and understanding, look, I, I see the brokenness in my world, perhaps even in my home, perhaps even in my relationships. And I want something better than that. And I know the source has to be God himself. It's time to, to come to grips with that reality and pray for his help, for eyes to see. The answer has come. I am walk the earth as Jesus. And he makes a way for every one of us. Following Jesus is the first step toward a fruitful life. Fruit that lasts. So maybe that's where you are right now. Maybe it's time to take a step to follow Jesus. If that's your heart, we wanna help you do that. You can use the link online. If you wanna use that link and, and ask us uh, for help following Jesus, we're eager to help you do that. I want to, even today. But for those of you who are already following Jesus and you're looking around your life and, and your relationships and, and even just the city of Charlottesville and you're thinking there's so, too much brokenness, it's so, so broken. This is the answer for you and me. Make the Holy Spirit a welcome force in your life. Choose to make room for the Spirit in your life 
And understand, just like it takes years for a tree to bear fruit, it takes time for us to, to mature and then bear the fruit of love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That doesn't just happen overnight. But don't give up. Persist in opening your heart to the Spirit, inviting the Spirit to fill you, inviting the Spirit to teach you, it's inviting the Spirit to lead you. Because I don't doubt it for a second. God's will for every one of us is to be fruitful and multiply. It's to bear a fruit that lasts. And that's His promise. I invite you to stand with me now. And if you have your, your communion with you at home, I encourage you to pull that out as well. Those of you at home might have an easier time. We have these cellophane tops we're gonna have to try to pull off. But when you can, I want you to grab the bread and hold it with me. And think about the Lord's Supper. He instituted with his disciples. Comfort food at its very best. The comfort of knowing our sins are forgiven. The comfort of knowing our God is not a God who loves us from afar, but who draws near even so we can touch him. And I want you to take his body. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he spoke to his disciples and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat this. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take it together now. Now, take the, the wine, the, the grape juice, the blood of Jesus. And we remember in that upper room discourse, when Jesus was unfolding for his disciples, all he came to do and all he was calling them to do, he said, this is my blood given for you. Take and drink and do this in remembrance of me. Let's drink the blood together. Our God did not just come to comfort us, but to cultivate us so we might be a comfort to others, filled full of His Spirit, bearing fruit of every kind. Jesus, we thank You for Your body and Your blood. We thank You for being who You are, God of all comfort. Jesus, we thank you for the comfort and knowing that your love never fails, it never gives up on us. And we thank you for the invitation to be about your Father's business with you, fully your spirit. So Lord, thank you for the best kind of comfort food we could ever ask for. Thank you for the gift of yourself and the invitation to do life at your table. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.